Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we are going to talk about selling results. I love anything with selling in the title. (laughs) (laughs) And you love anything with results in the title, so we're good. We're good. Yes, exactly. Right up our alleys. Uh, So, boy, we had a long conversation before we jumped on the, the, uh, before we hit record. And all of the, all of the things that we were talking about, the things that were on our mind were kind of circling around employees or outsourcing or contractors and, and maintaining a profit and blah, 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 all that stuff. And we started to think we, we, here's the thing. There's this notion of selling deliverables like uh, I will write this report for you. I will write this white paper for you. I will add this feature to your SaaS for you. Um, or, you know, in trying to price that, which I think is the, the most common way to do it. Uh, but the flip side of that is to take a little bit more ownership as the seller and say like, yeah, 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 I can write the white paper and I can build the feature, but what's that going to do for your business? What's the outcome? What will you do mm-hmm. next? Like once that's done, what will that change for you? And f- finding out what that is in advance for at least two reasons. One being, you'll probably do a better job achieving the outcome that they want if you know what it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, know thanks. where the dartboard is before you throw the dart. And the second thing is you can price the result and mm-hmm. in charge based on the outcome instead of the input. So yes. this is a common theme. Yeah. So this is a common theme for me on Ditching Hourly. I'm always talking about value pricing and what you need to do around that and you know scope last and all that stuff. Um, but I think we have a couple of examples that we can point to that might help crystallize this in people's minds for use in two different ways. One being if you are outsourcing your stuff, potentially changing the way that, uh, you communicate the request and vice versa, you know, when you're selling your own services, changing the way that you talk to the client so that you're finding out more about what the transformation they want instead of like how much work is this going to be for me to execute Uh, yeah i think it's sometimes it's easier if when we're the client right to kind of see what works and what doesn't and then you can kind of take that and make the shift when you're the consultant and you're dealing with a potential client yeah yeah exactly it's like (laughs) my squirrel story from years ago we had squirrels in the garage and i i called a pest control place to come out and trap them and not even to trap them. I get the squirrels out of my garage. That was the goal. Get them out of my garage. How much is it going to cost to get them out of my garage? And so the guy writes up, you know, he takes out his piece of paper with like a uh, carbon copy, you know, old school. <laughs> and he writes down, we're gonna, you know, first we're going to climb up the roof and we're going to bring a ladder and put a flim flam on the wham bam. And, you know, and, and it's like the, all this jargon, you know, like a full page of handwritten jargon and nowhere on it did it say like the squirrels will be gone. And so I said to the guy, I'm like, well, will this get rid of the squirrels? And he's like, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've had that guy. (laughs) I'm like, I don't care about anything on this piece of paper. He's trying to justify his fee, right? So at the bottom, there was a price. And he's trying to look at all the things I'm going to do to maybe get the squirrels out of your garage. And I'm like, what's the price for definitely getting the squirrels out of my garage? You know, so and and of course he was like that did not compute. It wasn't even like we had a Mm -hmm. conversation about it. It was just like, I don't care about this stuff. How much does it cost to get the squirrels out of my garage? Give me a price for that and then figure out what you would need to do to keep that promise. Mm -hmm. If that means camping out of my garage, that's fine. (laughs) Like, I don't (laughs) care. I need these squirrels out of the garage. He's supposedly the expert. 
so when you get this when you get this like this like list of inputs all these things they're gonna do and then at the end it might not work it's like well how can you call yourself an expert right and it, right. i think i think I, I don't just think i have you know exa- i can think of examples let's put it like that of people who start with the promise start with the guarantee i will get the bugs out of your restaurant and they work backwards from there to figure out what they would need to do to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, a famous example right. called Bugs Burgers, uh, Bugs Burgers Bug Removal or something. <laughs> and the whole front Ew. page of the website, yeah, the, yeah, Bugs Burger, gross. Um, the whole front page of the website was their guarantee, and like, here's how you contact us. It was like, if we, if if you see a mouse or whatever after we're done. Not only will we pay for another exterminator to come, we will refund all your money times two. It was it was like some like crazy yeah. guarantee. And so you Boy. read that and you're like, I mean, this would be a whopper of a lie if if this isn't true. So it almost makes it credible because it's so outlandish. Mm-hmm. And they're but the and the thing is, you call them up and the price is five times more than the next you know mouse trap guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, anyway, so the the buyer, when you're the buyer, I think it's pretty easy. To your point, when you're the buyer, I think it's pretty easy to recognize that that I don't care how hard it is. I don't care what you do. I just want the result that I want. I want the transformation right. that I'm looking for. I want my garage to not smell like squirrel pee. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's easy to <laughs> right. It's that's gross. valuable. That's right. valuable. How much? I probably would have paid five grand for that, and he probably charged me eight hundred. You know, so, mm-hmm. but he, and it was funny because he couldn't even, I was like, dude, like he just couldn't get there mentally. He's like, it's impossible to guarantee that the squirrels will, will be out of the garage. And I'm like, I don't think that's true. You know, in my head, I didn't, I didn't bother pushing the issue, but he could have a monthly service just like my regular exterminator who like aunt, my aunt's guy does where he just comes back and checks. You, you have an ant guy <laughs> and a squirrel it's, guy? It's called. <laughs> the, our, our regular, uh, what's it called? Pest control? Exterminator. Uh, I th- pest, yeah, pest I think that term's frowned upon, Michelle. Yeah, I guess it's, yeah. <laughs> we um, don't kill anything. We just gently remove them from the premises. Yeah. No, so we have so we have an old house and we have like, uh, if we don't have a pest control guy come monthly, um, we get mice. So, mm, you know, gotcha. so, so the guy comes monthly, so we don't have mice. And, but they don't do larger animals. So that's hence the squirrel guy. Anyway. Uh, so hopefully point taken. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I just want to stay on that example for a moment because the squirrel guy, all he would have to do is say, I guarantee they will never come back. And, and if that meant that he had to make three visits instead of one, he has to get over this psychological barrier of charging for each visit and come up with whether it's a monthly fee or a bigger one-time number. It's like it's they just have to invert their thinking. And it's yep. it's funny because once you really see it from the other side, it's hard to unsee it. Oh yeah. Yeah. But some people have trouble kind of seeing it the first time. Right. Yeah. The the thing that uh, there was another one that was a little bit more in the realm of at least the folks I usually t- I'm talking to that this is years and years ago i was like ah you know i'm out of my own i'm gonna do i'm gonna hire a designer to like really make my site stand out really look different whatever and uh you know found a designer came recommended and was like you know said all the right things 
you know, had the right glasses and all that. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, all right, well, how much is it going to, you know, how much is it going to be? And, and the conversation was very much around like, this is my hourly rate and uh, here's what I'm going to do and all these things. And, and I'm like, and in, in his defense, he, he didn't ask and I didn't insist on defining what would make me happy. Right. Mm. So, mm-hmm. so it was kind of like, it was kind of like this conversation, like where he would say like, oh, well, show me some other websites that you like and tell me what you like about them and all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, these, and this is what I like about it. And, and that was the the level of the conversation. And, and this was so long ago that I was not great at like the why conversation. I probably hadn't even, I'm sure I didn't even have a name for it at the time, but like, uh, we were just trapped in this deliverables kind of hourly conversation. It's like the wrong kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. So if he... Especially with design. Yeah. It's like, I mean, honestly, if the roles were reversed, like if, if I could inject my current approach into his brain back then in Time Machine, you know, 15, 20 years ago, and the conversation that he would have, that would have been the right one and it would have worked on me would be if he said, well, what do you, why do you even need a design? Like what's wrong? Like, why do you even need to hire someone expensive like me to do this? Like, what's wrong with your website? I would have said really nothing. I just, I just feel like it looks a little fuddy-duddy-ish. And he could have said, well, what problem is that causing for you? And if he, if he, you know, on down through the why conversation, and he would have discovered that it really wasn't that big of a pain. And really, it was just a vanity thing. And there was no way it was going to be worth a lot of money to me because it wasn't that big a problem. Well, hang on. Unless mm. vanity was a big thing for you. It, vanity can be worth a lot. It's it just not be. to you. Right. Not to it you. Just, right. Yeah. So if he, you know, kind of like playing both parts here, but if he said like, well, what's the big deal? And he'd be like, ah, it just feels kind of ugly. And he, he could say, well, is that, a, is that a big problem? And I, you know, is it a financial <laughs> problem? Or it's like, are you losing sleep over that? I would be like, no. And he could be like, well, it doesn't look that bad to me. Why don't you just leave it like it is? And maybe I could have, maybe I would have had some retort at the time, like, well, I'm, I'm in, I'm not a web designer, but I'm in web development. So maybe it, maybe it's a turnoff to some of my clients or whatever, but still that would have been, and we would, if we had that conversation, it would have probably been revealed that I was willing to spend a grand or two to spruce things up just to just like, maybe that's how much I would have spent for the vanity piece to just not be a little bit embarrassed by my website. And he could have said, okay, you know, uh, f- give me the grand, give me 1500 give me 2000 and, uh, and then we could talk about what things you really don't like about it now, and we can kind of, like, fix those things or, or mm-hmm. you know, mitigate any of those things. And I would have been happy. But here's what happened instead. He was like, oh, give me some examples of sites that you like and what you like about them. And, um, you know, my rates, I think it was, it was non-trivial. It was like 100 and something an hour. And... Uh, And so, you know, and we'll check in in a week or whatever. It's like, okay, cool. And a week later, he had put in like 85 hours. What? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Like, right? You don't expect someone's going to do 85 hours in a week. Uh, No. (laughs) That would be my first question. So I was like, dude. And, and, you know, of course, I didn't like it. So he he, like wasn't checking in with me. I didn't like anything about it. it. It actually looked really amateur to me. And, and so I was like, uh, here's your money. Never talk to me again. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I did, I just threw it out. Like, he's like, here's the CSS. I'm like, you can keep it. Yeah. You know? So, so it had that, so that, that's the situation that your clients are in. 
with a lot of people that they pay on a time basis and an hourly basis is that no one ever has the conversation about what is going to satisfy the client. It's like, it's, so it's no wonder that you don't satisfy them. And then you, you get into this situation. I, I fundamentally believe deep down that this is why the majority of software projects go 2x over the initial estimate because nobody talks at the beginning about what the success metric is. So once there, once the, the business has a huge investment locked up in, you know, whatever, six months to 12 months of hours on top of hours on top of hours, and they've spent a quarter of a million dollars, and now it's time to show it to the CEO. And the CEO is like, what is this? This is not what we wanted. And then they have the conversation. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But now there's no budget. So now everybody's fighting and finger pointing. And like, I, 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 I just feel like the, the majority of projects that go way over budget is because people start working before they know where they're going. And if you just move that, where are we actually trying to go to the very front of the conversation, it makes everybody's lives a lot easier. It gives you something better to price than scope. And you can sell the result instead of the labor Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll get off my soapbox. (laughs) Well, no, but I I feel like I just made the same mistake myself when I was transitioning VAs. And I, it was when I was writing my book. So it's kind of like I didn't want to be bothered. Mm -hmm. And I was presented with kind of a tailor made solution where the tasks would transfer from one person to the next and they would talk amongst themselves and figure it out. So while I had that initial conversation about this is what I'm looking for, that didn't really get translated in the offloading of tasks. And so uh, I was presented with a very large bill for stuff that really didn't help me very much and in fact wasn't all done correctly and the thing I wanted the most to be done hadn't been touched (laughs) so I was really frustrated so that was the end of that relationship and I'm still VA-less but what here's what's interesting and I've not started the search again which I'm going to so if anybody has this kind of VA (laughs) feel free to send me their name um so the challenge I did a just a quick search on Upwork I just wanted to see like who's out there and it was amazing to me how many people are former big corporate people who were probably really good at organizing and administration and efficiency and so they've set up shop but they don't know any of the apps that people like those on this phone call use. They didn't understand. I mean, yes, they could use like QuickBooks, but they didn't understand how to use, you know, Zapier or um, Slack or, I mean, they were like, there were so many things they didn't know. And I thought, well, mm. this isn't good. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so finding somebody who is focused on my outcomes, the ones that are most important to me, and can then tell me, here's what you need to do to get to that result, or here's what we need to do, would be awesome. And then oh there's a, like yes. a, another whole set of, of VAs who have existing systems, and they bring you in onto their systems. I'm not interested in that. I don't want to go into that cookie cutter solution. doesn't work for me. So I I know kind of in my head this kind of person that I need but it's so easy for me to see what I did wrong (laughs) in that conversation because I didn't want to be bothered because I was so you know up to my eyebrows in the book I just Mm -hmm. wanted everything to just be taken care of and you know it sort of was (laughs) but not the way I would have wanted it to Mm. yeah so that that brings up an interesting point which is that it takes a little bit of emotional labor 
on the part of the seller, I think it's usually on the part of the seller um, to uncover the desired outcome. It's, yes. it, even when I'm the buyer, it, it, there's it, it feels kind of like a forest for the trees problem where I'm like, I know something's wrong. I know something's not the way I want it. It's tough for me to articulate. I think, you know, whatever, starting a YouTube channel will solve the problem or, or prove something or be the experiment that I need to run, but why? And if the seller is just like, okay, hundred bucks an hour, uh, tell me when to stop. Then, then there's, it's like highly likely that, uh, or at least reasonably likely that my gut instinct was wrong, that I don't even know where I'm driving. I'm just driving around, but I, now I have someone else driving for me mm-hmm. aimlessly. And I, th- and there's something, even though I understand this, just like you do, I can still fall into it. And a seller that is like, that is like, just, just pumps the brakes for a second and is like, okay, well, what are we trying to achieve here? Like why? I remember just that just gave me a memory. So like uh, I reached out to someone I know who uh, who wouldn't be for hire. I was just trying to get his advice about what was it? It was something about um, it had something to do with PR or whatever, or like getting on old uh, like legacy media. And Mm -hmm. and I knew he was a, a guy that would know, you know, he had a lot of experience with it. So I reached out and I said, I said exactly that. What what would I need to do to it wasn't this, but like, what would I need you to get on Good Morning America? Mm-hmm. And he was, and he immediately, I know he knows the answer to this, but he did not start telling me. He said, why do you want to get on Good Morning America? And I was like, you know, uh, sell more books or whatever. I'm, I'm totally making this up. That's not what the conversation was, but right. it's like that. So it was like to sell more books. And he's like, well, is that really the easiest way to sell more books? And I was like, no, probably not. I could probably just do this instead. And he's like, do that instead. <laughs> Yeah. Right. That's that's the discussion with every great consultant. If you think yeah. about it. Right. Find yeah. out why you got to ask why. If you yeah. want to help them, you need to ask why, because they're asking you. They're pulling you into the conversation because they're not the expert. If they were the expert, they would know what to do and they would just do it or they mm-hmm. would decide not to do it. But they don't know. And so they probably have a, a sort of naive or childlike idea of what's involved. That is probably in their mind a lot easier than it really is. <laughs> So, so to kind of validate their self-diagnosis is good for you and it's good for them and it will set you apart. It'll position you, even if you talk yourself out of the job, if you talk them out of hiring you because, you know, you actually don't need to be on Good Morning America or you actually don't need to start a YouTube channel or you actually don't need to whatever, redesign your website, you're never going to forget that person. And when somebody, and they're going to be positioned in your mind as, as someone who's, uh, a trusted partner for someone who does need that. So then when somebody does really need to know how to get, I don't know, get on Good Morning America or get their site redesigned, then I would feel really comfortable sending them to this contact who mm-hmm. I know is not going to take their money unless he can improve their condition. Yeah. He or she. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I love that. You know, it was making me think about when I, um, I hired somebody to write my bio for my website like years ago because I just kept getting stuck like my bio looked like crap. And I'm like, I write bios for people. I know yeah. I can do this. But it was just bad. And so I kept trying to find a copywriter, somebody really good who would do it. And I just never found the right person. And then, But I was actively looking. I'm like, there's got to be somebody. And I, I knew I was being hyper picky 
you know, mm-hmm. because I, there, I wanted a certain thing and I wanted this balance of being interesting and professional with still being like fun. So anyway, mm-hmm. I found this woman and she was amazing. She was writing for this um, new thing that was, I think it was Marlo Thomas had come out with this quite a while ago, but she was doing really interesting. I know it's like a crazy random thing, but I loved her writing and I'm like, she gets it. And I actually, I stalked her on, on social media to figure out like, okay, who is she? She didn't have a website. What kind of stuff has she done? I thought she's perfect. So I forget if we knew somebody in common, but I reached out to her. We had a conversation. She said, okay, you know, I can, I can, we talked, she got me, she said, I can write your bio. And I think she said for $250 an hour. And I said, well, I don't really care what you charge the hour, but what I care about is like, what's the whole thing going to cost me? And I kind of need, I need like a top end. So we, we find it, we talked a while. And so we agreed that it was going to be $2,500. Now at the time, this is at least 10 years ago, maybe 12 or 13, $2,500 for like a five paragraph bio was crazy expensive, but I wanted this so bad. So anyway, yeah, right. So this, just uh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I wanted it so so bad. bad. That's yes. the key. <laughs> and I wanted it to be by her. That was the other thing. I she, I did not find her by chance. I mean, I I tracked her down like yeah. you know the last bust of the night. So anyway, so so <laughs> she 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 does this bio for me, and the way she did it, she her process was I sent her a bunch of stuff, and she did an extended. Oh, it was like two hour interview. And she got back to me with something. And the thing was, I didn't love it because it was a little too formal. But she had like several phrases in there I never would have thought of in a million years. And I said, I love it. You're done. This is it. (laughs) She's like, first draft. I said, yep. It's perfect. And the, the funny thing was, like, I only used, like, a line or two from uh-huh. it. That's all yeah. I used. But that's all I needed. And to this day, I never regretted paying that money. It was mm-hmm. perfect. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's just all in what you want, what you value, and what the person is going to deliver. Now, I could have sent her back and said, you know, I really need to do for you to do this and do this and do this. I was like, no, because she's not quite going to get that voice that I want for me. But she took what I said about my history and framed it in a way that I could not have done myself. And most of us, you know, have a hard time doing yeah, that for brutal. ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she yeah. did it. And I'm like, you're a genius. Thank you. <laughs> and, yeah, and notice, notice the thing, dear listener, notice the, the thing that Rochelle didn't do is like, well, you just, I just gave you $2,500 and you only worked for two hours. So I need to get more work out of you. Even though you were done, like you were satisfied, there's this, I think there's a fear that um, on the seller side. So if, so if people listen to that story and they're, and they're, they're picturing themselves as like the Marlo Thomas person, the writer thinking that clients are just going to be like are going to be like well no i need you need to work longer you need to do more you need to do more changes <laughs> you know so i get my money's worth oh but, please but that doesn't right it's like it's yeah. like you know rochelle didn't want to put more time into something that was done for no reason so what difference does it make you know like why like doing the math like i know when i talk to people about i mean this is a great example where where her years of expertise came to the fore and and hit the exact home run you were looking for. Mm-hmm. And they imagine if they were in the shoes of the seller in that story, that either the client would be upset that they paid so much money for so little time or that the 
client is just going to continue to nickel and dime them to air quotes, get their money's worth, or that the, the seller is, will feel bad about themselves for only working for two hours and, and effectively making, you know, 1250 bucks an hour. So it's like that, that, like, in other words, feeling like that's not fair on behalf of the client, mm-hmm. like, oh, I, I yeah. made too much. Right. Yeah. And it's like, and that's, that's, that's also like that mindset episode we did a couple of episodes ago. You got to get that mm-hmm. idea out of your head. Right. What Rochelle yeah. wanted so bad was a, a bio that she couldn't do. Like you couldn't write it. You couldn't figure out how to write it. So, you, you know, you found someone who you considered to be a Mercedes option, like a premium luxury mm-hmm. purchase, and you just believed that it would work and it did work and it didn't need yep. to take a lot of time. In fact, the, the, the less time it takes, the better. Yeah. Oh, and and you know what? There was another piece of that I just remembered. I'd totally forgotten. So we had had a standard contract at that time. And it was like, I don't know, it was like three or four pages. And I sent it to her. And she's like, Rochelle, this didn't feel like you when we talked. This is like, I, I can't sign this. And I, I said, oh. I said, so just like, what what is it about it? She goes, it's four pages of legalese. She goes, I, I I can't sign that. And I thought, you know what? She's right. It's it's not congruent with my brand. I threw it out. <laughs> I wrote a one-page thing that said, you will do this. I will do this. I'm going to pay you this much. I, th- I think maybe I paid half up front, half at the end. I don't remember. And done. And, you know, and we signed it. But it was yeah. just, it was like one of those, it was early on in this business incarnation. I think I was carrying over some of my corporate tendencies, yeah. these long contracts. <laughs> corporate so, tendencies. Yeah, I know. So I'm, I'm down. When I have a contract, you know, it's a page. Yeah. Unless they give me theirs and I'll usually sign it. But yeah. Yeah. And and check out the, the chutzpah of the seller who's just like, I'm not doing this. So she was basically saying like, I, I will not, I will turn down this job if you're going to make me read this. And I'm sitting there going, are you kidding me? I've looked for you for months. No, you have to do this. I mean, I didn't say that obviously, but that's what I was thinking. If she said, right. I want you but to stand on your head and spit nickels, I would have done it. <laughs> I would have. I knew yeah, she so was look the, at the one I needed. Look at the power dynamic there, the power frame. She was the prize. Yeah. Yeah, right? she really was. Yeah. Right. How did so not that we're talking about positioning here, but but can you go a little bit deeper on why what did she do or how did you know that she was the one, the one and only person to write your bio? It was just like other work I, that she had done. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to remember. I, part of it was, and you have to remember, I came out of big consulting and I've worked with people in big ad agencies. So I I you know, when it comes to that, I want somebody who is a really a good writer. And in in this case, it isn't just writing like an ad copy. It's writing about a person. So it had to be that. And I think the reason she came to my attention was the work she had done. And I, I don't know why I'm remembering Marlo Thomas, but there was some website and this woman was like running the website and it was a like a content style website. And the voice that came through and the way that she, I think she did Marlo or somebody else's bio, I looked at that and went, okay. And then I, th- I think that I looked at her LinkedIn I remember looking at her LinkedIn and seeing her experience. It was kind of a combination of heavy duty writing. I think she'd done some journalistic work with 
what I think of as editorial and copy, but she'd done enough that was creative in between that I just, she felt right. And then once I talked to her, I was absolutely convinced because she was really smart. A lot of writers are just super smart and she was smart, but she asked really good questions. That's what I remember. Like I felt like she really was trying to figure out what I needed and why she had to do it. And she wasn't doing the why questions the way that you describe them exactly, but that's yeah. really what she was getting at, is yeah. how can I produce an outcome that Rochelle is going to value? I definitely right. felt that in the call. Yeah, and I, I've actually gotten that feedback many times, and even students of mine have told me, uh, when they first really, really do a good job with the why conversation in a sales meeting, they report back to me, and this has happened to me too, that the at the end of the meeting, the client is like, that's the best meeting we've ever had about this project. Mm-hmm. Like the way that you, the way that you uncovered, you know, the, the walked us through those questions really clarified. It's almost like consultative. It's like really clarified for us that we're not aligned, that our leadership team's not aligned or that we are aligned, but now it's clear to us how to measure the goal because you helped us work through it. It is consultative. It is. Yeah. I was going to correct you, but I wanted to let you finish first. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. It's That's consultative selling. Right. And then they're like, oh my God, like this is, this is the one, right? Because yeah. they've talked to maybe, you know, in a, in a competitive bidding situation, they probably talked to at least two others. And if the two others are like, what do you want me to do? Where are the squirrels? Uh, here's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And it's like, but are they going to be out? I don't know. <laughs> How long is it going to take? I don't know. Okay. And there are some clients who, I don't want to say like that in the case of the squirrels, but there are some clients who really don't want to be challenged. They don't want to have those questions asked. And, and those are not good clients for no, most No, they're bad of us. clients, right? Those yeah. are not the like right. You, you don't want them. Yeah, it's like you sending the the four pages of legalese. It's like, uh, and and yeah, and I love the way exactly. that she said. Yeah, I don't know if you said that she said this or if you thought it, but her saying this is not what I this is off brand for you. This is not what I expected mm-hmm. from you after talking to you. Which is basically she's pushing back and saying like, almost like almost like, um, not you deceived me, but like just calling you out and saying yeah. like. We were out of alignment. I, I think I'm the one that said it's off brand because I was talking to my VA because mm-hmm. she had helped me put the contract together. And I said, you know what? I'm thinking about this. This is off brand. We need to just scrap it. She's right. Mm-hmm. And now I could have said, oh, how dare you say that about my contract? But I thought, you know, this is a woman who I really respect. I spent an hour with her. We've talked about my business. I know she's I know she's right for me. And I, I thought her comments were spot on. Yeah. I got. I never used that contract again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, geez, let's see. Let, let's just hammer the point home. I, I've got um, <laughs> another story. Because <laughs> we haven't yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's this story about, I was in a, in a, I was working for a, I was kind of like, like fractional CTO for a startup, bootstrap startup. And uh, we had one full-time developer. She was overworked and, and the, the, the founder was is just more stuff to do you know we had like you know 20 pounds of crap in a 10 pound bag and we needed we needed it <laughs> more dev time right so it was like well you know i know a million devs i'm sure i can find one <clears throat> so asked around found somebody interviewed a couple of people and found one that just had the right personality for the group just perfect personality for the group it's like any like you know 
any mediocre developer would have been fine from a skill standpoint, but they really needed to fit in. Like that was that was mm-hmm. the pr- first thing. So it was like we definitely needed someone to fit. So found someone that fit in, and I was like, this is the guy. And it's not because of you know he, he's a fine coder. I I don't even know. I don't even care. I don't even care how good he was. It was like it was like he's good enough. Like he's he's worked with other clients. They've hired they've hired him back. He's he must be fine. Right. Like I wasn't I didn't give him tests or like, you know, code review or whatever. Mm-hmm. So like this guy's gonna fit in and and uh and then so we start talking money, right? And I'm like, um and he's like my you know, I think he volunteered, like my rate is whatever, whatever it was, hundred and twenty dollars an hour and blah blah blah. And I'm like, you know, I really don't care about the hours. Uh you don't need to track your hours. Here's what I want. I want the lead developer to feel like uh she's uh, support like it doesn't have to do she's not frustrated i want the lead developer to not be frustrated and i want the founder to feel like things are getting done and mm. every week I, or every other week i talk to both of those people you know more than that but every other week we have a meeting and in that meeting i'm going to say to the developer like you know do you feel frustrated do you feel overwhelmed and if she says no and i say to the founder are you happy with the amount of stuff that's coming out you know and if he says yes then i will continue to pay you $5,000 a month or whatever it is. Even if you only worked two hours, I don't care. And I assumed that he would jump at it, but could not could not wrap his head around that concept at all. And it was really? like, yeah. And it was like, I don't know if it was, well, I shouldn't say it like that. He, he wasn't going to do it. Um, it could have been a bunch of things. One, one thing could have been he was either consciously or subconsciously sensing the risk because... You know, coming in from the outside, how does he know whether or not he could take the the feeling of overwhelm off of the developer and satisfy the, you know, what does that mean? Like satisfy the, the By founder. asking questions. Exactly. Which, right. Right. Yeah. So maybe there was like, it was just too much of a, it could have been too much of a black box, like um, that he thought it's possible to do, but I don't know if I can do it with these people. Or it could be that he was just like, I don't even understand what you mean um so you know and and it was like okay track your hours like like he could have made so much more money if if he had you know profit wise i mean it probably would have been about the same amount of money but he could have probably done less yeah uh or another thing could be another thing could be i've seen this in a lot of people where they in a scenario like that they work more than they would have because they want because they have like a sort of pleaser mentality or pleaser personality and and don't don't know when to stop you know so like that sort of feeling Mm -hmm. like when you're working on your own stuff or like a book right like oh i could always do more there's always something i could improve so it could be that that would just you know without the meter running so for a personality like that if the meter's running they will stop at a certain point because they don't want to take the the client's money for something that's so minor you know, like there's something you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I need to go through and make sure that there's no, you know, spaces at the ends of any of the lines, which has is meaningless in terms of functionality. It's just like a code hygiene type of thing that no one will ever even notice, probably. So with the meters not running, they might descend into perfectionism. And, uh. and you know, so I could see that, too. Uh, and there's all kinds of psychology around it. But the but I guess at least understanding, hopefully, hopefully more and more people over time will will who have that kind of uh like wait a minute you don't care how many hours i work like the, <laughs> <laughs> the, 
it's, well, you messed yeah. with his mental model. And I think, you yeah. know, when I think about it, I think that's in every situation that we've been describing, there, there's been some messing with somebody's mental model, right? Mm-hmm. If you think it's all about how, ma- how many hours, or not even hours, how much time you put into something, right? It's really hard to imagine that someone will value the outcome only and not care about the inputs. But wait, let me tell you about the 27 hours I spent to do this one perfect thing. I don't care. I, don't I do care. care that the outcome is beautiful or it works this way or it brings me new clients or, you know, yada, yada, yeah. yada. It's like, I, I worked overtime 80 hours last week to refactor the whole code base. And it's like, yeah, but everything's broken now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I refactor. What... It... Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you just said, but yeah, I don't yeah, care. Does it now. work? Yeah, yeah. Does it work? I, Right. I, I, I stayed up all weekend and worked 48 hours to refactor the entire invoicing module. <laughs> and now it's broken. So can you just undo that? And I'm not paying you for it. And no one asked you to. So yeah. it's like, yeah. Yeah. I hear well, you. I was having a conversation. This, this might seem a little out of left field, but I was having a conversation with a Silicon Valley experience, sort of Silicon Valley software engineer, kind of a lead type of guy. Uh, yesterday, and he was telling me about OKRs, which I think are is a concept coming out of Google, and I have heard of it, but I had never really looked into it. It sort of sounded to me like you know success metrics or whatever. It was just like like leading indicators that managers would base their uh, you know one on ones and reviews of their employees around. It was like, like KPIs. Oh, just, yeah, exactly, like KPIs. So I just kind of like, ah, eh, it's like KPIs, but Google style. Um, but he <laughs> clarified for me. A little bit that he's like, well, it's it is meaningfully different in the sense that the OKRs are about results. So it's so it's less about it's like here's here's the result, here's the outcome that we want. You figure it out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's there's a lot more latitude given to the people that are doing their piece of the of the thing and the team. You know, and if the team is like a product person, a designer, and a couple of engineers. You know, it's a nice small team. There's not a lot of communication latency. And as long as the team, the sort of like little SWAT team, knows what the 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 next person up the food chain is trying to accomplish, then it gives them a lot of latitude to use their creativity and, and not feel micromanaged and be able to solve the problem in the way that the group feels is best. Mm-hmm. It's very, I was like, ooh, that is meaningfully different. I kind of dug that and I was like, man, that would, if that's really the case, that would be a really cool thing to, for that to spread. I, I, I really like that. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, results versus input or yeah. outcome, outgo versus inflow. <laughs> and I have to think about that. Yeah. 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 It's just a different way of thinking. And, you know, I said earlier, you know, when you're messing with somebody's mental model, it's, it's, it takes time for people to figure this out for themselves. But for us, for people like us, people listening to this podcast, we generally know what our clients are valuing. We know, at least in big picture, we know what our ideal client, what that outcome, what that transformation is. Now, every client is unique. There will be different stuff, different politics for big companies in particular, but small companies too. There'll be different inputs, different things that are causing problems. But when you latch on to that outcome, instead of the 27 or 107 steps that you have to do, it's mind-blowing. 
Yeah, it's like, it's honestly, it just sort of clicked with me. It's kind of like finding the mission for the project. And if mm. you've got the mission and it's for the project, then it's it's all about everybody's on the same mission, right? Like everybody, mm-hmm. you've got something to align everybody around. So you're like, look, this is what we're trying to accomplish. And, and, and I know even as I say that, I know people are listening and saying like, yeah, the list of features is what they're trying to accomplish. It's like, no, they're trying to get their first round of funding or they're trying to get their next round of funding or they're trying to get to uh, 20K MRR. There, it's not it's not a list of features. That's not an outcome. You know, the That's visual I had when you were saying that with the mission, for some reason, I was picturing herding a bunch of people into um, like a rocket and mm-hmm. shooting for Mars. And it's mm-hmm. like yeah. our job is is not just to herd them in, but to make sure all the equipment is there, all the safety features are working. But and we've all agreed where we want to hit on Mars Mm-hmm. Right. And at some point, you know, it's liftoff and that that's our job is to be that mission. I don't like using manager because that sort of sounds a little too nitpicky, but mm-hmm. it's really to make that mission happen, to get them to the transformation, to get them to Mars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Right. So anyway, yeah. I mean, as you said, we've said a couple of times, it's like a big mindset shift, but whether you are on the, the buyer or the seller, I, it's like kind of like you need to make the shift in both both ways. Maybe the the takeaway from this episode is that if you look for examples in your life where you are the buyer, even if it's outside of business, like you're putting an addition on your house or something, um, where you're the buyer, just notice sort of metacognition, notice how badly you want how badly you want a specific outcome and how little you care about how much work it is for the other person. And that, and that if they won't commit to the outcome and they're just talking about all the things they're going to do, notice how that Mm -hmm. makes you feel. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and yeah, (laughs) I think you said it. Notice how it makes you feel because my first reaction was you just like had this sinking feeling that they're not going to get it. And I don't have time to waste with this person. I have to find somebody who gets it. Right. Right. Yeah. It's all about alignment when you think about it. And especially for us, because most of us have solo businesses or one, two, three, four, five person businesses. And if people aren't in alignment with us, they get left behind. And and we spend a lot of money and a lot of energy on things that are out of alignment. And I don't know about you, Jonathan. Yes, I really do know about you. (laughs) But I don't have time for that, right? It's I need it aligned all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't stand that feeling of friction. Mm-hmm. So it's like why I, I, I'm sure that has a lot to do with why, you know, it's just, I just don't work well with, with employees or whatever. I just, you know, it just creates this drag. I don't, it doesn't feel like leverage to me. It feels like the opposite. Well, I guess what I'm saying is not don't work with other people, but um, having, being fully aligned with them. So if, if you're a Jonathan, if you hate friction and you don't want meetings, you don't want any of that stuff, then you need to find somebody who's totally aligned with you, who is yeah. going to bother you just like almost never, but do an amazing job. Now, obviously, you have to have discussions with them on the front end. You probably have to have some Slack or email communications, but you don't have to have meetings. Yeah, me, that's the thing, right? It's the meetings, the yeah. constant meetings. So yeah. like, and if that person exists, and I'm sure they do, um, where they just get it and you know i we together at the beginning like you said uncover like okay what is the mission of this particular engagement 
and then just go off and do it. And when you said, you know, you said uh, you used a term like it does an amazing job. The amazing job isn't how beautifully they execute the activities of their craft. The amazing job is it transformed my business in the way that I wanted. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cause we don't really care about the craft. No, I really don't. I mean, cause I, I know that part will just work itself out. Like I don't care about that part cause that it just has to be there. Like it doesn't impress me. It's to me, that's like table stakes, right? Like the, the really impressive thing is if they can make a meaningful, meaningfully positive impact on the business. And you know, it, it just, I, I just know they're not going to be hacking and slashing under the hood and like creating just a, a mess or whatever, like, cause you get a professional. So they're automatically going to mm-hmm. do a pretty good job. They don't have to be the best in the world. But they didn't do a pretty good job under the hood. So it doesn't matter. Well- yeah, you know, I was thinking about craft, you know, my most recent experience with this was getting my workbook done by my longtime designer. And, and her craft is, I mean, there is no other way to say it. her craft is beautiful. She's also a watercolor artist. I mean, she is so amazing. I would buy anything that she produces. I mean, she's just she's beautiful. But what I loved about what she produced for me was she'd been part of the book launch from the beginning. She knew what we were working on. She knew what it was going to be. Um, I chose not to have her design the book cover because I wanted somebody who was specializing in book covers, but I gave her the book cover, said, this is what we have. She's already the keeper of the of the brand on the site. And I didn't worry. And that workbook was at like 5,000 words, something like that, with lots of places for um, fillable PDFs. I mean, it, it was it was a, a, a work of art, but a work of detail. It had to work. Mm. And she gave me that first draft. Everything worked. I mean, mm. I think we had like a few things we had to tweak, but it worked. And like, to me, that was the difference is that, yes, it's beautiful. So, and there's no question her craft is amazing. I love it, but I needed it to work and she did that. And that was the value for me is the mm-hmm. combination. But I didn't want to, not that she would tell me, but I didn't want to hear, oh, I really had to work on this color gradation <sighs> and this, like, no, you work on that and enjoy doing that. I'm glad you love it. But yeah, I just want to see what does it look like? Does it meet our goal and does it work? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Isn't the design beautiful? There's a typo. <laughs> I'm laughing because Sarah would never say that. She, you know, yeah, that's, that's why I love working with her. She gets it from all angles. Cool. Great. So is there any stone we've left unturned at this point? Oh, I doubt that. <laughs> is there is there any story we didn't tell today? Probably. Oh, yeah, there's probably 50, but so yeah. many of these this just happens all the time yeah i know all the time i know cool. all right folks we'll stick a fork in it here that's it for this week i'm jonathan stark and i'm rochelle moulton and we hope you join us again next time for the business of authority bye bye